Hello, everyone. I'm Emily Lavender, and this is the Forever Marriage Podcast. Forever Marriage at Lakewood exists to strengthen families by helping couples discover God's design for marriage. Hey, everyone. This is Season 3, Episode 5, and we are continuing to talk about um, nurturing the habits of grace in your personal life. And so in our previous episode, we started talking about um, habits of abstinence. So these are things that we abstain from. We don't do um, push things of the world away. And so we're going to finish up the last few of those. So we're going to jump right in to be talking about frugality. Yeah, this one, um, Scott and I sat here and was like, Emily, you're going to have to jump you, in on this You one. talk about this we don't one, love, Emily. We, we don't love the frugal life, I'm going to tell you. You know, this would be, um, you know, this is definitely would be something that would be a challenge for us. I mean, we, you know, we we have gotten some of those other ones pretty much in a rhythm. But this one is, you know, when we live in the culture that we live in, um, and when you're, when you're doing relatively, relatively well, you know, we're not, we're not super rich, but we're definitely not poor mm-hmm. that we have extra money around. And so living a frugal life isn't something that we are typically leaning, lean toward all mm-hmm. the time. But the, the frugal life means just a simple way of living, the quality of being economical with your money and food. Or thriftiness, and I—I I mean, I've—I've I've seen some people and read some books on people who've said, you know, I'm going to go for a year and not buy anything new, or I'm going to—I'm um, going through my closet, and if anything new comes in, something def- or two things have to go out. So this idea of frugality is an important one. I think it's also a stewardship matter. But Dave Ramsey says, if you live like no one else now, you can live like no one else later, and I think that is important. That is definitely a principle, but not necessarily the heartbeat of a of frugality to me in that when it's a habit of grace, when you're practicing the discipline of frugality, it is literally saying no to the spoils of living the American dream for a little while to be um, able to give, to be able to finance, to be able to feed the kingdom. In other words, um, of God. Yeah. I mean, I just think if all that we have is a gift from the Lord, everything we have has been graciously given to us and not to be spent on ourselves. Now, not that we shouldn't use our money to buy food and the things that we need. Obviously, yes. Um, but ultimately, I, I don't think it's for our own. I mean, we are we live to honor and glorify the Lord and love others around us. So, how can we steward our money and our income to do that? Um, I'm certainly not perfect either. I mean, I, when it comes to specific things like food, like groceries, I'm like, okay, we're hungry, we're going to get <laughs> what we need. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to material things like clothes, or you know, that's a little bit easier for me to to not be lavish in. Um, but I also think it has a lot to do with your family of origin too, and how you saw your parents spend money and your grandparents. And, you know, we we're just laughing about this earlier. I have a, some grandparents who were very frugal and just did not, you know, lavishly spend money. And that was ingrained in me to where I feel like I always need to buy the, the knockoff brand of, you know, frosted flakes or what. <laughs> and she's right. like, what is this? Right. What? <laughs> this is not frosted flakes. <laughs> 
Um, well, and when you think about it, Em, to your point, many of our grandparents and or our great-grandparents came out of the Great Depression. They came out of World War II where they dealt with they had to live frugally. There was rationing during World War II. Uh, during the Great Depression, they, they had to live frugally because there just was not a lot of the things. And they, and they learned to do so out of those life experiences. But we live in a culture over the past several decades, which, I mean, Dawn and I are children of the 80s. And that was, if you watch MTV or anything uh, – that was Gordon Gecko and greed is good. And we, the eighties was the decade of excess. Mm -hmm. And that's really where we kind of cut our teeth and observing how you function in the world. And it was not through frugality by any means. No, but for our habits of grace, the practice of it may be in your life or as you're kind of thinking about this particular habit of abstinence what might that look like for you you know what what does that look like in your home and in your family to practice a season of frugality and i know we try to teach our children oh clean your plate you know they're starving children in the world but but really truly what does that look like in your home and we want to challenge you to sort of think through that as we're talking about what that what what is the implication of living frugal on finishing well well, and this is the thing. I want us to think about this for a moment. The, what is the implication of frugality on finishing well? I'm going to tell you, y'all, I want y'all to think about this, but this is where when you ask that question, this is where I land. If you ask the question, what, what does frugality, Scott, Dawn, Emily, what does frugality have to do with finishing well? This is one of the first things that came to my mind. Frugality speaks to our ability to control ourselves. We know that self-control is the ninth of the nine fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 23. Emily will put that in the show notes so you can look that up. But if we know the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, frugality really says, I am, I am through this, the grace and goodness of the Holy Spirit as a child of God that abides in me, am willing and able to control myself to say no to this so I can say yes to this. To Dawn's point earlier, part of one of the motivations for us to live frugally financially especially, is so that we can greater fund the kingdom work of God. And that's one thing that we attempt to do, Dawn and I attempt to do in our personal lives, is each year, and we had this pattern for us by our former senior pastor and his wife, Dr. Tom Smiley and Terry Smiley, is that they would incrementally every year increase their giving, not just the tithing to the church, but what we call the offerings to the kingdom of God. And that might be offerings locally, nationally, or globally. And what Dawn and I attempt to do is not just increase our giving to the church each year, but to increase our giving to kingdom work, um, ministries or missions that are making a kingdom focus, that are going to have a difference beyond this life. And that, guys, is one of the primary reasons for frugal living, is not to say, hey, look how cheap I can do things. 
No, it's look at the grace and goodness of God that he has allowed us to live on this so we can give more extravagantly to the kingdom's work. How is, I was going to say, how is this helping our, um, how is this helping us in our walk with the Lord? You know, our natural inclination is going to be to do what is comfortable for us, what's going to, you know, to gratify the desires of our flesh, be it in eating more or spending more or whatever. But, you know, we came into this world with nothing and we're going to leave with nothing. So how is this going to help us in our walk with the Lord? Yeah, that's right. So we're talking about uh, habits of abstinence. And we've talked about so far fasting. We've talked about silence. We've talked about solitude. And in this episode, we picked up with frugality. The next one I want you to think about is the habit of sacrifice. Jesus himself said in John fifteen thirteen, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Our willingness and ability to humbly sacrifice ourselves exemplifies, one, our trust in God, and two, our personal maturity in Christ. And so self-sacrifice can be demonstrated in, in a number of ways. In the context of marriage, obviously, it's giving preference. It's what Paul talks about in Romans twelve ten, of giving preference to one another in honor. The ESV says it this way, outdo one another in showing honor. And that really is how we learn to sacrifice. In the early years of our marriage, I did not have this down as a habit in my life, you know. Um, sacrifice, as God began showing me, probably by around year two, year three of our marriage, sacrifice was moving uh my heart and mind into a greater realm of prioritization of dawn, of regarding, as Paul says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, regarding dawn's needs as more important than my own. And that was a physical way that I could or bodily demonstrate sacrifice for dawn is to regard her whatever that she wanted and needed uh, as being more important than myself. Think of it this way, guys. This is language we use here when we're working with couples. I'm bringing this into the marital context. If what your partner is asking of you is not illegal, it's not immoral, it's not unethical, it's not unbiblical, and it doesn't violate your conscience, can you not out of God's good graces to and through you, sacrifice yourself for them. It might mean tonight literally getting up and doing a household task that you just don't want to do. But you know if you sacrifice your wants and wishes for the betterment of your partner to help them to uh, just be a helpmate to them. That is a personal sacrifice. And it is one of the habits of grace that I believe God is calling us to. Now, the last habit that we're going to talk about in this episode is the habit of chastity. I feel like all of these sort of build on each other. And, you know, they are all <clears throat> sort of revolving around this idea of abstinence which requires an element of sacrifice 
Um, and certainly this idea of chastity or living a chaste life is also very much a discipline, but one that's really important to um, um, as part of our spiritual life and part of our spiritual discipline and our ability to hear the Lord. And so, you know, chastity is sounds like such an archaic word. I mean, and may and it is. I mean, it's been a long, a long while, and it's, uh, <clears throat> it's been around a long time. Let's put it that way. Um, and uh, I don't know what kind of connotation it has to you when you sort of say that word. Does it sound archaic and old school and not something that we embrace these days? Maybe I don't know. Um, but it means really just simply the state or practice of refraining from um, extramarital um, or especially from all sexual intercourse. And I would just go to include all sexual sin or things that are really kind of out of bounds sexually, according to the scripture, how the scriptures would teach us um, is proper sexuality or proper sexual expression. We would say, keep it into that in keeping it into that realm. Um, and, so that's really the context of what we're talking about when we talk about living a chaste life. And it, this does not just apply to the single people that in, in who, who are listening to us. This applies to everybody. So even for Scott and me, there's a measure of chaste living that we're responsible for in our marriage. Even though we're free to express ourselves sexually to one another, there's still a measure of, of chaste living that we are responsible for. And that is keeping what is proper a sexual expression within the confines or the of our relationship. So <clears throat> as we're sort of thinking about maybe the things that we might pull away from, um, the Bible does teach us in terms of for a period of time, for a purpose, if we read in 1 Corinthians 7, chapter 5, it says, do not deprive one another. And this is talking about sexually. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a set time to devote yourselves to prayer. So, for example, for Scott and me, if there were there were a season where we're we are seeking the Lord about an issue per per se, that there were there might be a season where we pull away sexually from each other Mm -hmm. that we might devote ourselves more to a time of prayer in our marriage for whatever it is that we're seeking the Lord for. But that verse can goes on to say, come back together now so that you won't be tempted by the devil. So for, for us in, in the context of marriage, there is this idea of pulling away for a period of time sexually so that we can engage more in a prayerful season Mm -hmm. in our relationship. Second Timothy <clears throat> talks about to all of us. This is this is instruction to all of us, married or single, but to all of us. Flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So we can see this picture <clears throat> of instruction of pulling away now, of pushing out the youthful lusts. And this is talking about the physical desires of the flesh and pursuing the spiritual things of righteousness, faith, love, and peace um, with a from a pure heart. So the 
so we're working on thinking about the purpose of a chaste life of a single adult and what that might look like and also what the purpose of chastity within the confines of marriage would look like as well. So this idea is for both of us. Yeah, I want to speak for a moment, just as you were talking, um, just for me practically. This is how I, in the context of our 35 years of marriage, choose to live a chaste life. As I referenced in the previous episode, uh, in episode four, uh, this is becoming more and more important to me, I think, than it ever has been in the 35 years of marriage, because in the context of what you and I do in vocational ministry, specifically in marriage ministry, I, I do see that, I mean, it feels like almost a weekly, if not daily occurrence, I don't want to overstate it, but a weekly occurrence of a pastor of some form, locally, nationally, state level, globally, whatever, falling because of unchaste behavior. And for me, chastity simply looks like this, being cautious of any type of flirtatious interaction with someone of the opposite sex who is not you. Riding in a car, and we talk about this pretty readily, riding in the car with someone of the opposite sex who is not you or my daughters or something like, like that, meeting in the office with someone of the opposite sex, if it's not you and or you're not there. It's, it's just making conscious volitional choices to guard my heart and my mind and to guard the the sanctity and the fidelity of our marital relationship. That's really how chasteness looks for yeah, me. Yeah, and I know the language, you know, that we put out there is of purity. Yeah. But I think that that's also problematic to me in that, you know, look, <laughs> it's not like we're born pure and then we mess up and then we become impure. Well, listen, we're born impure. And so the purity that we have comes from Christ in us. He's, it's him. It's him who is the purity in us. And so how do I live in such a way that demonstrates the purity of Christ in me? That to me is how we make those daily decisions every day. Does this demonstrate the purity of Christ in me? The, the fact that he has paid such a high price for me to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, but there's no, there's no, you know, there's nothing pure in me of myself. You know what I'm saying? So living that chase life is really just making those momentary decisions about expressions of the purity of Christ yeah. that is, indwells me. And so if we're going we're gonna to give you some quick tips or just remaining chase or demonstrating that purity, whether you're dating or married, we're mm-hmm. going to say that. But number one, make a commitment to each other. And if you're single, Listen, find you a group of people who you can walk this journey with of of denying the lust of the flesh or the things. Listen, it's hard. I mean, Scott and I got married young. And so we were, you know, we were we we entered into that realm of freedom of sexual expression early. Mm -hmm. But there are some of you who are listening to us who aren't who. You might even be divorced. You're out of a marriage now, or you're not married and you're, you know, you're an older single adult. And so this is really, we have, we have compassion for that. And so we, <clears throat> finding that group of people that you can make a commitment to, to hold me accountable in, 
in uh, in these decisions of chastity um, are are really important. But certainly, when we stand at the altar together, we make a commitment to one That's another right. for chaste living inside of marriage. Number two, setting boundaries, and Scott talked about that. And we've shared about our own boundaries before. I think Emily can probably link you to another episode where we talked about some of those boundaries that we've set in place. It might sound radical to people, but that's all right. We've just decided it's best for us. Well, I just choose it this way, honey. I would rather look like a fool to this world than end up being proven to be a fool to Mm -hmm. the world by a stupid decision. So, yeah. The thing that I would say, what I just said, and some of the other things that we we will share later on uh, in in this series, has has proven to be helpful for us. Right. Number three is to if you're dating, avoiding that alone time. Yeah. Um, and we don't mean like don't get in the car and go through the drive through at Zaxby's. That, that's not what we're talking about. You know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Just that alone time where. Where you're prone to stumble if you are together by yourself. Well, honey, let me just say this. I, I remember, and and this feels so antithetical because I'm I'm talking to Christian couples who may be in college, single, uh, and are dating. And this sounds so antithetical when I say this, but I will often say to guys that I'm mentoring that are young enough to be my son, if not younger, I will say, be cautious of practicing a lot of spiritual disciplines with your partner privately. For instance, I I can remember, I'm going back, honey, 35, 36 years in my mind, when you and I were dating and we were alone and I would be praying, we would be praying and kneeling and praying together. And prayer is such an intimate connection with the Father and when we're praying with and for one another, it creates an intimate connection between us. And I could remember it would get the sexual juices flowing in my heart and mind because we were praying together. And so that's, I know that sounds so, that, and you may say, dude, that's just you. I don't think it's just me. I think that's often in all of us. So be cautious of these times alone, even when you think what we're doing, Scott and Dawn, are good things, but it can lead you down a road that you don't want to go down. That's true. (laughs) 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 All of that's true. You know, listen, we we support spiritual disciplines in our dating couples, but we also want to you know to to warn you that it can lead to some challenges if you practice we're you, talking about doing them you in can privacy. yes and you can certainly pray for each other yes. you can certainly read the scriptures together but mm-hmm. but we encourage you to sit on a park bench that's right do it out in, in the out, public go yeah that's right do it in the public do it in the said? public that's right <laughs> Okay, let's keep going here. Get some get some support from friends and family. We talked about that just mm-hmm. in terms of rallying people around your personal decisions that you've made now. Um, be open with somebody. Give somebody that access to ask you the hard questions. You yeah. have to give somebody that access to yeah. say, I want you to ask me these specific questions. If you're in a relationship with somebody and you know that you're, you know, you know that you are, teetering on sexual struggle and all of that 
Give somebody that right to ask the difficult questions to you. I need you to ask me regularly because I'm struggling. Yeah. Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So a wise man is going to say, hey, I'm inviting you, man, another person of the same sex into my life because you love me, you love Jesus, you love my partner, and you want God's best for us. I'm inviting you into my life to ask me the hard questions. And after you've asked me all the hard questions, I'm inviting you to ask me, Scott, have you lied to me about anything you just said? It's that willingness to be open, to be candid with one another that provides protection for us and helps us to live a more chaste life. That's right. Okay, we, we, you know, certainly talking and being open with someone, just as Scott described, that's important. It doesn't matter to me if you're married or dating. It's important to give somebody direct access and to give them permission to ask you the hard questions. Um, certainly remind each other of what your goals are here. Um, the reasons why the Lord puts these parameters on this very precious part of our life is for our good. It's not that he's holding good from us, but he is holding good for us. And certainly when we are wanting to hear from the Lord, and that's what these, uh, habits of grace are, this, this, these periods of abstinence, the things that we kind of hold back on, is for the purpose of hearing clearly from the Lord. And when we are engaged in sexual immorality, sex outside really of what God says um, is the parameters that he set it up for, then I will tell you it muddies the waters. I rarely find someone who can make wise decisions when they're involved in sexual sin, married or unmarried. They will say some of the craziest things to Scott and me. When, and when they're involved in sexual sin, it blurs the ability to make a wise decision for themselves. So for, for us, the reason why we talk about chaste living and these seasons of abstinence sexually is so that our, our minds will remain so will remain sober minded that we'll be able to think clearly and we'll be able to hear from the Lord. Yeah, First Thessalonians four, three through five, Paul says this: For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel, speaking of your body. In sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So it's God's desire for us, guys, that both in marriage and prior to marriage, that we know how to uh, maintain ourselves, to abstain, uh, to protect the fidelity, uh, the well-being of not only our relationship, but our witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we come back in episode six, we're going to begin looking at habits of engagement. This past, this episode and episode four, we looked at habits of abstinence, and now we're going to move into habits of engagement. So we'll see you in the next episode.